Australian women's hockey player Sophie Taylor is not only a professional sports person, but a qualified physiotherapist who has a passion for health and well-being through sport and physical activity. Sophie was born and raised in Camberwell, eight or so kilometres from Melbourne CBD. Sophie is an Australian hockey player, a defender for the Australian women's national field hockey team. She is also an athlete with a passion for her dual career, working as a physiotherapist. Sophie finished her health and science degree and moved on to a Master of Physiotherapy at La Trobe University in 2019 and since has worked as a physio at Stoke Physio in Perth. In her spare time, Sophie continues to further develop herself as part of the Victorian Institute of Sport Ambassador Programs, studying and coaching. Her ambassador role with the Victorian Institute of Sport includes being a very experienced Victorian Institute of Sport tour presenter and visiting schools as a motivational speaker. Enjoy this episode as we delve into all things sport, physio, and some medical conditions. Enjoy the episode. Now, so you're, you're in home, home isolation at the moment. You've been traveling. You've had a couple of trips around Australia to, from Melbourne back to, to Perth. So what's, what's uh, life been like over the last 12 months for you? Yeah, it's been um, very different to what I expected. Um, I mean, this time last year, we were five to six months out from an Olympic Games. Uh, so it was all systems go um, mm. and COVID didn't exist. So, um, yeah, we're at a really, really good point. We just played um, Belgium in some pro league games and then we're moving into GB and um, everything was, yeah, going in the right direction. And then, I mean, like the world, um, everyone in the world, everything suddenly um, ground to a halt uh, and I actually mm. relocated back to Melbourne uh, for majority of last year. So I was back home in Melbourne from March uh, all the way through till middle or end of September um, and then finally made my way back over to WA. So um, yeah, lots less hockey than I expected, uh, a lot more running, a lot more solo yeah. sessions, uh, a lot more time spent in isolation. Uh, but yeah, it's been a very different 12 months. Um, but I guess, um, would I have it the same way again? There's parts of it I'd have again. There's parts I'd probably um, like to do differently. Um, but yeah, I think there's been lots of learnings throughout the whole process um, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess grateful for those learnings, but um, it has been a really challenging 12 months at the same time. Yeah, that's right. So you mentioned you're from Melbourne. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself and your upbringing. Yeah, so grew up um, in Camberwell, lived at the same house my entire life. Um, oh, so nice. when I moved over Not to WA, <laughs> yeah, um, it was the first time I'd ever moved house, um, let alone moved out of home. Um, and a state. So, and a state, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, I was a very uh, active kid, um, played every sport, I guess, under the sun um, that I could um, and just loved being active, um, loved being outdoors, loved running around, um, loved the team aspect of sports. Um, mm. And, yeah, sport and movement made up a really large part of my childhood and I think I reflect back often and a lot of my fondest memories as being a kid um, were being active, whether that was at school or at a club yep. or just with your friends. Um, mm. Activity followed me wherever um, I went. So, um, yeah, that was probably influenced by the fact that, yeah, my family members were very active, um, have a younger brother and then three older brothers who are triplets. 
Um, so I didn't really have, and not in a negative way, I just didn't really have a choice yeah. as a kid, um, you know, to yeah, do anything Sandwiched else. in between four boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that definitely has influenced how competitive I am and, um, and my love for sport and the types of sports I probably have found myself playing. But, um, yeah, I have a very, very fond memories of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So being brothers all around the house, I assume mum and dad were involved in, in physical activity and sport as well. Yeah, have always been reasonably active. Dad played cricket and footy um, and other bits and pieces and was always active through school and um, afterwards. Um, and mum too, uh, again, probably not, I mean, played team sports um, at school. Uh, but since then, you know, was just physically active in different ways. And uh, mm. I think growing up, they wanted us to be a part of as many sports as we possibly could. Um, and yeah, it wasn't, you know, we want you to become an Olympian or we want you to become this, that and the other. It was yeah. more just the enjoyment and the benefits of playing um, sport for the social aspect, but also um, the physical aspect of it um, and the mental health yeah. um, benefits too. Mm. Well, I probably should just touch on football there or footy, as you said. That, that <laughs> to Victorians is uh, Australian, Australian rules football. For yeah. anyone listening, they might think that we're talking <laughs> about soccer there. <laughs> um, now, being a Victorian, AFL and Aussie rules, was that just embedded in you? Like, is that what the way I look about from New South Wales, where we just play rugby league and rugby union? AFL's like, what is this thing? Yeah, we, um, I grew up following AFL basically from the earliest time. Mum is a Geelong supporter, dad's a Hawthorne supporter. Um, and it was Ooh, always very a very interesting battle. dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> as to um, which team I would follow. Dad actually used to be Collingwood, but then became the dentist of Hawthorne. So that's how mm-hmm. we got involved with the club. And um, I'm now a Hawthorne supporter. Uh, so, yeah, basically from early on as I could, um, I was a Hawk supporter. I went to the sport all day, every day, and actually played Oz Kick um, as a kid, which is basically the, the junior version for those that don't know mm. you know any of that um i guess junior program leading into higher sport yeah. and um sport as you get older and also played footy at school with the boys too so um yeah footy for me whilst i haven't continued it to date is something that um yeah i grew up with i can kick a football i pick up a football i haven't kicked it in a couple of years and um i just have that knack whereas if you give me a rugby ball i'm like i don't know i'm i'm quite coordinated <laughs> but i'm like i don't know what to do with this it doesn't kick as well as a footy so um you yeah, basically use all. the same technique <laughs> yes yeah the ball's a bit of a different shape though and it bounces like i can read it around, the though, way yeah. Yeah, football bounces, but I find um, reading mm. the way a rugby ball bounces, um, yeah, it's not an eight because I've never played it really. So yeah. um, they, do, they do react yeah. quite differently when they bounce. Yeah, yeah. One being more long and, and like an AFL being longer and thinner, whereas a yeah. rugby ball's got that round the middle. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so growing up, um, sport in your childhood obviously played quite a, quite a big role. A lot of physical activity in the backyard. You said a lot at school and then in clubs. So being a being a growing up in Camberwell, did you have a lot of opportunities around you there? Which is for those listening, Camberwell's about eight nine kilometres from Melbourne CBD in Victoria. So yeah, you're pretty yeah. much in the city. 
Yeah, pretty much. We were very fortunate. We had so many clubs around us. So our house backs onto a trade line and then we have um, a good couple of ovals um, each side of us. Um, mm-hmm. So our, my local cricket club was literally a stone throw away over the back fence yeah, right. um, down on that oval. Um, I played tennis at the local um, tennis courts around the corner. Um, hockey club is a little bit further, but when I say a little bit further, it's probably like just over a K um, the other way. So down, yeah, yeah. It's, we were very fortunate with um, all the different sporting I guess, clubs um, that we had um, around us. And I think, you know, that really immerses you in the community as well. I think it's something that um, if you were ever moving to a new place or a new country or whatever, that's a really great way, I guess, to make friends and know the area and get part of the, to become a part of the community is to immerse mm. yourself if you do have them in the local sporting um, precincts and areas. Yeah, sport plays. I, I, um, when I moved to Indonesia, to Jakarta mm. in um, 2012, I joined the local cricket comp, which everyone's like, "What? You got cricket in <laughs> Indonesia yeah, and, wow. and the hockey as well, which were yeah. mainly well, mainly expats." But it, you got linked in with a community, and it mm. yeah, it was great. Um, so, with those sports, what, which do you think was your actual first sort of sport? Because you obviously played a few. <laughs> yeah, um, I started hockey when I was about six or seven. Um, mm. Cricket is probably my earliest memory realistically whether it was the first one but we played backyard cricket though for like years and go down the park and be in the net so realistically cricket was probably a battle footy was probably one of the first ones um Mm. that I picked up or maybe I maybe my first game was cricket but hockey was I started earlier in like an in just a like learning the skill kind of sense um but yeah they filled up cricket and hockey filled up you know, my summer and winter for years and um, yeah. up until a period of time they um, still did. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, yeah, all part of it. So, um, yeah, yeah had... cricket, cricket sort of took your focus there for a while in your early yep. teens. That became your your sport even though you still had hockey. So, ha- yeah. being both hand-eye coordinated coordination sort of heavy sports, did that help you from – summer with cricket then hockey with in winter yeah I think they definitely went hand in hand I mean there's aspects of hockey and cricket are similar but then there's also aspects that are very I guess different Mm. um so when I played a lot of hockey and then went back into cricket I found I could hit cow corner really well um (laughs) and then drive to the offside really nicely and then I hit a hockey ball quite well as well so that probably goes hand in hand with the fact that I then had cricket um every other um, you know, um, part of the year too. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think they do go hand in hand. Um, and I think there's areas of my game, whether technically in a hockey sense, I might not necessarily be, how you'd say, technically fantastic with my hockey hit, yeah. but I get away with it because I probably hit a bit more cricket-like. Um, hmm. And, yeah, and just different pieces, uh, bits and pieces like um, that. I mean, you don't catch a hockey ball. You don't catch a hockey ball, but in cricket, obviously, you do a lot of catching. Um, so I play a position like in the le- on the left post in the goals in defensive corners. So um, we do get a lot of ball up around our head. Yeah, so it's that kind of same movement, even though you're not executing the same skill. It's mm. the fact of a ball's coming at your head or you have to be able to be still and trap between your legs. Um, yep. So, yeah, I think they, they definitely go hand in hand. And, um, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of immersing yourself in so many different sports because there's going to be skills that you learn from um, each and every one. Like I played basketball, there's things from basketball that when you reflect more and read into a game more like we do it now at the elite level, you're like, oh, that's an interesting aspect of 
hockey that maybe we can actually steal skills from other sports mm. and put them into a hockey game and um, how we can use them. So, um, yeah, the hand-eye coordination, I've always been very just, yeah, lucky in that regard. I've had quite good hand-eye coordination um, and that's probably yeah. from, yeah, being being immersed in all different kinds of um, ball mm. sports from a young age. Well, that, that um, your example there of being on the left post, so I, I used to play right post. Um, yeah which was a favourite for drag flickers, those that know what a drag flick is. Um, yeah. But a couple of weekends ago, I got a, a bouncer at cricket that went mm-hmm. just under my chin. And, yeah, it's exactly, you know, it's you've got your hands up and you're, and you're around, so you're watching the ball. Yeah, it's, yeah they, so that, that was a great example of how cricket and hockey really, there is an aspect there of mm. it's the same, same concept. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so cricket. You went on with cricket as well at a, at a, a representative level, um, quite young. Was mm-hmm. hockey? Which did you represent uh, Victoria first Ooh. in hockey or cricket? That's a good question. Uh, the first ever hockey state team I trialled for, I didn't make. So I trialled for under twelves uh, hockey state team, and I've been told by a lot of people I would get picked. Um, and I guess that age, you don't really know how to kind of take those messages on board and say, actually, until selection happens, who knows who's going to be picked. Um, But I wasn't picked for that. And then I think maybe six weeks later, I was picked in the under-13 state team. So um, that was – How did that work? uh, Yeah, I probably – realistically, looking back, I probably should have been picked in the under-12 state team, but I wasn't, and that was a good learning curve. Um, But then got picked as an underage in the under-13s, which – Underage, yeah, right. Yeah, which was, I guess – yeah, funny uh, in itself. And then the first cricket state team I made, I reckon was, yeah, maybe it was a similar age as well. Maybe it was mm. an under-12 type team. So maybe a yeah, cricket was actually the first team I played in before I played um, in a hockey state team. So, mm. um, yeah, it was immersed in that kind of um, school sport Victoria pathway system um, from a very early age and then moved into, they kind of branch off and it goes to Cricket Victoria state teams and then obviously hockey yeah. Victoria state teams. So, um, yeah, it was um, great. To, I had some fantastic coaches, whether they were ex-athletes or um, teachers or coaching staff. Um, mm. But, yeah, even reflecting back on now, you go, you really do reflect back and realise who are, um, really great coaches and who are yeah. who are coaches that have the potential and skills but maybe aren't quite there yet or they could tinker their coaching style slightly mm. to get the best out of themselves but also other people. So, um, yeah. There's definitely I've, – I've um, played under coaches that you know that they've got the got the head. It just hasn't quite yeah. been portrayed through, especially, especially with kids. It is a – it's a bit of an art form compared to mm. when we get into elite athlete as a as a teenager and then a, and as an adult. It's there's that passion, that that maturity, I guess, into the sport. Whereas at 12, 13, mm. we just love our sport. We just want to play, play fun. Yeah, just have fun, <laughs> yeah. like games. I think. I mean, there's mm. there's time and space for developing fundamental skills, um, but I I personally think your game play. Um, at that age when they're, when they're young and they just want to run around and have fun is so important. Um, and you might play a game and realise, oh, actually there's a skill there that the majority weren't executing very well and that's when you then interlink that into your next training session or whatever. Mm. So that's kind of how it goes rather than going, oh, let's tick this box of this skill or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I just think gameplay is so important. You then learn. That's something I'm not very quick but I've always been able to get away with it because I make really good decisions and I read the game really well. So, um, and that came from playing lots of games as a kid. So um, it's not necessarily a skill that you can learn when you're 
20 or 30 or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's something you kind of need to develop at a young age. I think gameplay is a fantastic way. You're having to make decisions constantly, um, both attacking and defensively. But the gameplay uh, and fundamentals at that age then lead on to, if you've been playing like yourself, you've played two hand-eye coordinated sports there across summer and winter. Mm. I assume you had a break from both of those in those periods to some degree. It wasn't 11 months of hockey and 11 months of cricket. <laughs> yeah, it was probably they overlapped definitely for periods of time. Um, so I was always doing one of them. Um, so it wasn't like mm. six months of one and six months of the other. It was probably more yeah. eight months so of always... each and they would overlap there, mm. give or take. But that was the best thing. That's why I reckon I'm honestly still playing hockey today. Um, I honestly, if I reckon I did what some of my peers had done um, and they'd gone from like pre-season hockey into like club season hockey, which is our winter yep. season, into um, indoor hockey, into something yeah. else hockey. You just, well, most people just burn out. Like you mentally yeah. get sick of the sport or, you know, you're not being challenged enough and you need to be around a different group of people or different coaching staff or different, just different environments. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't 12 months of each. There was definitely times where hockey took the front seat and then times where cricket took the front seat. Um, and, yeah, that was hard at times too because sometimes it was like, oh, actually, I've got clashing commitments and which one takes yeah. priority, which one do I um, do I go do? So that took a lot of communication and organisation and something that kind of from an early age my parents probably instilled in me and said, well, you know, at the end of the day you can choose, it doesn't matter you know, what you do, and um, we're happy to support either of those endeavours. So I think that was really empowering because I got to make the decision rather than mum and dad dragging me off to another cricket yeah. training or another hockey training. It was like, oh, no, I want to go to this one because we were leading up to a tournament or we were in season or I knew it was going to make me better at the, the chosen sport. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so with those, those two, like the pathways, you sort of touched on it briefly, but are the pathways now that you're involved with the Victorian Institute of Sport as a, the ambassador program, are they is the pathway still very similar to when you went through the program sort of 10 or so years ago um, at that 12 to 15? Or is it more push to start one sport earlier? I think you'll find that a lot of people feel that there is a push to start one sport earlier. I found there was even mm. a push when I went through, but I was very yeah, resistant okay. to that push. And often yeah. just kind of yeah. laughed it off and was like, haha, like, no, I'm quite happy to do another sport during I love the other, my other of sport time. Too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's always been that push. I think um, if you're identified as an athlete in a sport, they don't want to lose you to the other sport. So they will do mm. whatever they can to kind of keep you sometimes. Um, but in terms of, I guess, the pathway of development, um, it is very similar to this day. I think the cricket has probably taken more steps forward than the hockey pathway. And the reason I say that is the cricket pathway when I went through was probably a fair way behind the hockey pathway. So they're probably now kind of on par um, in terms yep. of the amount of teams and development and the opportunities. Um, so it's fantastic to see that cricket has taken the steps it has in the women's program um, to get up to an elite um, environment. And we're seeing athletes these days, you know, in their teen years, if not early 20s, um, have a really, really remarkable impact on on the game, um, mm. whereas that was kind of always been the case in hockey because we've had a really good development pathway. Um, but then I think in hockey we've also had, I guess, an addition of more academy-type um, academy training sessions. So um, I guess, like I said, um, going from pre-season to club season into indoor, then academy jumps on. So hockey's becoming 12 months of the year, um, yeah. whereas when I went through 
that probably didn't happen as much or it might have happened at times but um, it wasn't as intense um, as it is um, now. So some kids a couple are, of months worth. Yeah, yeah. Some kids yeah. are playing hockey, yeah, 12 months of the year, basically don't get, you know, a day or month or week you know, off mm. the sport. So, yeah. and then you can, you can mind school sport in there. If you, um, you know, you do go to a, whether it's public or private, um, private sport yeah. typically has a higher, uh, I guess when I say toll, there's more commitments required. Um, okay. And all of a sudden, if, you, if you're playing one sport or in Victoria, it does often you're training yeah. twice a week and um, maybe oh, wow, kind of true. more yeah. year seven on, yeah, year seven on mm. with you training twice a week and you're playing a game. So um, that in itself, that's what, yeah. you know, a senior club does. So let alone like I was, yeah. there was times where I was doing, Junior club hockey, so that's a training and a game a week. Senior club hockey, there's supposed to be two trainings in a game, but often you only go to one. School hockey. Your junior one in there. Yeah, so school hockey, two trainings in a game, and then any other representative stuff. So I'd often play three games of hockey within about 16 to 17 hours on a weekend, which is just crazy. Like that's a lot of like a lot of hockey. Um, so luckily, I was then able to in summer then get a get away, not in a negative way, but more to step away hmm. from the sport and um, immerse myself in another area. Yeah, so you did have that. Yeah, that mental and I guess physical break from the, the one sport to then come back and be passionate about again and still put in four or five training sessions a week and three games in yeah. seven days, which for for seven. Well, 12 to 14 year old that's pretty intense yeah 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 <laughs> that, that sounds like the the private sport in in melbourne in particular mm. must be fairly intense then yeah so very intense. was that inter school sort of competitions on a weekly basis that was part of like victorian hockey or was it actually the schools that ran those yeah it's a school competition so basically majority of all of term two and then at least half a term three um that's all run by yeah the school system and you play intra Mm. um i guess yeah school v school uh and there's a pretty prestigious kind of like it's a pretty prestigious competition at the end of the day like you become what ours was aps um so you become an aps yeah premiership team or whatever so um yeah it it was when i say serious the schools took it very seriously um yeah well hence the two trainings a week <laughs> yeah yeah so- it, it did get a bit excessive at times because a lot of the especially in hockey a lot of the kids are doing so much hockey outside of Already. like school sport mm. I ended up going back and coaching it and when I coached it we ran it very differently so we trained once a week and our other session was like a movement mobility strength yep type session um just to give them a break from having to put their hockey gear on like that's what i got sick of yeah, getting exactly. out of my school uniform and like oh gotta get dressed for hockey again after a while so um that actually worked really well and we found that the group probably thrived as a result from that and we won the premiership that year as well so you know we were pretty successful <laughs> um yeah which was nice but yeah just to break it up and change it up and um get benefits elsewhere and especially at that age, like you said, benefits elsewhere mm. um, by doing a movement session a week rather than the skills because, again, they're doing so much of the skills already that in club hockey we quite often do forget and, and across many club sports, um, the fitness and the movement and mobility required for sport. Yeah. We spend so much time on the, the actual intricate skills of each sport that we we totally forget about that so yeah. it's that's a I nice think it's getting worse. and i 
Yeah. I was just saying, I think it's getting worse as well with kids these days and screens because, you know, I'd come mm. home from school and I would run around. So you're moving, you have movement patterns. Yeah. Whereas these days, and sometimes it's school enforced, you've got homework to do on a screen, but other times it yeah. is we're addicted to them and it's, um, I'm, I would like to spend so much less time on my phone than I spend on it. Um, but we just spend way too much time on it. So all of that movement opportunity, recess and lunch or after school, we're missing out on um, because we're mm. sitting there on our, on our screen, watching something, playing something, messaging someone, something. Um, so yeah, I think that has now correlated into club sport. And actually there's, as you said, an even increased demand and need for it because Young kids sometimes are missing out on it. I think kids get like sometimes one 30 or 40 minute PE class a week or two if they're lucky. Yeah. Like that's not enough. So, and then we're missing out of, yeah, outside of those hours. So um, even at club sport level, yeah, sometimes removing the skill and actually just getting kids to move and run and teaching them good movement patterns is um, is really important. Obviously going back to where I touched on earlier, mm. the gameplay is also important, um, but that is running around when you play games, you're not lining up exactly. behind a cone and yep. waiting, you're running. Um, and if you're not, someone's going to tell you to run. So <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's that social aspect too of a mobility session changes that dynamic of if you're just doing skills, everyone's head down, focusing on what they need to do. Mm. Whereas generally with a mobility session, we can have a laugh. We can, yeah. The kids will communicate in a different way. Yeah. So, so when you were going through these, this age group, so in your 12 to 15s, very busy, how did school go with all of that? Um, yeah, it was challenging at times. Um, I also like have been very driven academically from a long period of time. So that for me was also really important. So I had a desire and drive to stay up with my academic, um, side of things as much as my sporting side of things. Um, so yeah, it was challenging probably more when I got questioned about my commitment, which if someone got to know me, it wasn't lacking um and it was more just like oh we'll treat everyone the same it's like well that doesn't work in life you can't treat everyone the same you can't treat me the same as someone who's wagging school and doesn't want to be there I actually really want to be there but I have training commitments or you know travel commitments or those kind of things so Mm. um yeah definitely depending on the person you spoke to and depending on I guess their views on the matter um would ebb and flow um and some people and um, the majority of people throughout my schooling and sporting I guess, journey have been incredibly supportive and helpful. Um, But I think it really stands out when someone isn't um, because Mm. often, you know, a whole whole lot doesn't have to be done. Like I'm not asking for you to, you know, go out and then teach me the content in a separate period of time. I'm just maybe asking you to print the worksheet or put it on the online portal a day earlier or whatever it might be. Often there's like a very simple solution, um, but sometimes people don't want to do that so that was challenging but again I think one of those things I learned from that from an again an early age is you just had to communicate and have them through uni uni's uh, like notoriously known for not being helpful um so you have to provide a solution so they're going to say no so you go okay well no is not an adequate answer I can't like no doesn't work so how do we get to the the bottom of this otherwise I'm never going to finish my degree so uh yeah I learned to kind of communicate well and not just ask for something but it was an ask and here is three possible solutions which one suits you best um and then let's move forward from there so uh they're skills that I'll take through with me for life that I will take I've taken into my um professional or elite sporting career and then we'll take mm. you know through um after I finish up um in with sport 
Yeah. So you are a qualified um, physiotherapist now, well, as of a couple of years ago now. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that your academic and your sporting throughout school was very intense. Then post-school, you went into physio basically straight away, um, leaving high school and still was playing hockey. That sort of became your sport around that age, was it? Yeah, so I was playing cricket and hockey up until about the age of 16. And then I got to a point in time I guess where commitments continued to start to clash, but I actually also became really unwell. So I got mm. diagnosed with chronic fatigue in year 12, so 2013, um, but had probably mm. been battling um, it ongoing for the two, at least two years prior. Um, yeah. So yeah, I got to a point where I kind of had to choose a sport. I also stopped sport and removed myself from sport for a period of time um, because basically I couldn't make a day at school. I'd fall asleep in class. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. So to get through a day at school was, or even an hour at school was the, the first and highest priority, yeah. um, let alone then thinking about going and running around and um, burning more yeah. energy. And my body was crying out for, for rest and sleep and recovery. Um, yeah. So it kind of almost in some ways, um, yeah, I guess happened itself. That's how I kind of fell into choosing hockey over cricket because um, I got to a point where um, when I slowly reintroduced and while I was kind of hanging on for a period of time trying to do a little bit of sport, um, I only had time in my week for, for one. So, um, yeah, it kind of all, yeah, almost fell into place um, as it was. But then, yeah, I started to improve, I guess, after year 12, um, had finished and then I mean I still experience chronic fatigue symptoms today and I will for my rest yeah. of my life um, mm. but they're much more sure. manageable and I'm feeling um, I guess I can tolerate them better and I'm in a much better place now than I was um, yeah. yeah a good couple of years ago but yeah then moved straight into uni um, after finishing school so yeah didn't have any time off there it was kind of just from yeah one thing to the next and then um, has progressed through that way since then. But you did you you had unfortunately had to take a break from sport um, do, do you feel like the two or so years prior to actually having that diagnosis of chronic fatigue, that maybe the sport was inhibiting that and, and sort of brought that on or was it? Yeah, I think it was a combination of um, lots of different things. I don't do, I mm. didn't deal with stress very well. I do at times okay. deal with it well and don't do it, deal with it well at times now. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm very much a, I was very much a yes person. I could never say no. And that was something I had to learn. Um, All these different plates going at once. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you're a yes person, you have one thing in your life, that doesn't matter. Like, but I was trying to Mm. juggle so many different aspects of my life. Um, So I had to learn to, yeah, learn to say no. Um, And yeah, I I just think it was a combination of stress um combination of yeah never saying no probably not listening to my body and resting enough um Mm -hmm. I probably am when I say excessive with my exercise and like exercise obsessed like I would if I could move all day every day um and actually that time I had to learn to sit down I had to learn to um recover and that there was no point me doing the training that I did if I didn't recover properly because you don't get any benefit out of any training you don't recover from. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was a combination of all different things and it kind of hit 
ahead and my body just went into shutdown and was like, well, you're not going to stop. You're not going to learn the other way. We've given you other warnings mm. um, and all those bits and pieces. And then finally it was like, all right, well, yeah, we're literally shutting down and we're going to stop you from, you know, doing the simplest of things. And um, hopefully, you know, you you do stop and you do listen. And it got to a point where I, I wasn't, when I say I wasn't happy, I wasn't healthy either. Like I, yeah, there was no, like I was so exhausted all the time and that is, um, yeah, not a nice feeling to, to be in. You wake up after 12 hours or 14 hours of sleep and you're wrecked. Um, yeah. It got to a point where I was like, okay, yeah, I need to I need to investigate this a bit further and get to the yeah. bottom of it. Well, yeah, the comment you just made about um, overdoing it and, and, and needing rest, even from sport, as a physio, like, can you just pop your physio hat on there for me and just deconstruct that a little because a lot of people, um, parents especially, see their kid excelling in a sport and they just want them to keep going. And, and unfortunately, we've got associations and academies that are pushing, pushing, pushing for more. But rest is better than actually playing too much. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny because I, I say this as a physio and I can treat patients and clients and say it to them, but I still struggle yeah. to say it to myself. Uh, and that's why I've learned over time I have to actually put my like, programming and conditioning in other people's hands because um, yeah. if I control it myself, I actually sometimes have an in- inability to, to rest myself. Even though I know all the evidence, yeah. even though I can tell someone else, I find it really hard to tell myself it at times. Um, but, yeah, there's no point. Um, I guess the yeah the kind of comment I made before, whereas um, there's no point doing training that you don't recover from. Like there's actually you get nothing from yeah. it. You're actually worse off from it. Um, and that, it's and really that's muscle related. Yeah, yeah. Recovery wise, um, your ability for your energy system, so aerobically and anaerobically, to recover mm. and to for you to actually be ready for that next session. Um, your muscles are fatigued, um, and then all of a sudden you're at a higher risk of injury. I've been really fortunate not to have in many injuries, and touch wood, um, nothing. Uh, I guess you know it happens, but mm. um, for me it's been my health. Uh, so that's how it's shown up. Um, so often. When people get injured, yes, there can be an imbalance of muscles. Yes, they might be overtrained, all these kind of different bits and pieces. Um, And you're never going to know, I guess, what exactly it comes down to. But readily it is that they've overloaded too much and they can't Mm. tolerate that load um, and they've broken down. Or another way to put it, they have trained too much and they haven't rested enough and their body's just gone, okay, we're going to stop and you're not listening. So, um, let's yeah let's hold back and let's stop and I think as well with kids when they're growing as well it's you're going to go through different ages as obviously a child and teenager when you study increases and decreases and all the rest so it's about periodizing it as best you can around those um those times a kid who's anywhere from you know not a newborn but you know three four whatever they're moving around up until probably about um end of primary school um, you're probably not realistically at risk of overdoing it at that age um, just because there's probably not enough for you to overdo it. Okay, mm. if you're doing three sports a night after school, okay, yeah, that's overdoing it. But you're probably not going to. It's more when the study starts to pick up, your social commitments start to pick up from seven, year 7 to year 12, um, that yeah. Yeah, that's often the time I feel like a lot of kids or teenagers uh, start to overdo it. Um, and I guess my one, I guess if you want a practical take home is that Every child needs a day off a week um, and that can be any day of the week. It doesn't matter what day it is. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean a day sitting on 
like your mum not doing anything at all. Yeah. It just means a, a day of a rest from sport. You can be active. You can go for a walk. You go down to the nets and, you know, muck around, but um, there's no structured, physically intense, exhausting yeah. session. Um, otherwise your weeks just roll around and um, you just get burnt out. And you get and, – and not only the physical – fatigue but the mental fatigue mental fatigue yeah um, which is i think more detrimental because that impacts yeah. everything else as well that that impacts your enjoyment levels your motivation levels and then all of a sudden other areas of your life um are obviously impacted by it too mm. yeah and that's where you you consciously made that choice i guess with your parents as well that hey year 12 i need to focus on this because you were wanting to get into physio for already a few years that mm. was kind of your 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 um path in life i guess that you, you were aspiring to so you made that tough decision to okay sports out i just need to focus on study my health needs to focus on resting and let's just get through that and then mm. post that things started to to again progress with your hockey and and some and for you, you didn't actually debut with the Hockey Roos, the Australian women's hockey team, until you were 23. So it was still another five years after that little break that you then went to the next that next level. And how how come it took so long? Yeah, I think it was, I guess, a combination of me still getting over my chronic fatigue. Um, it still impacts me athletically um, today. And it took me a while for my body to react and respond and actually build a big enough aerobic base and a fitness base um, that was required to, to train and compete at the elite level. Um, so I think you know that played a part. Um, I also think uh, and it was something I really struggled with. Everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own progression. So I didn't debut till I was 23, but hopefully I will play from 23 till who knows when. Whereas you have, yeah, hopefully, let's go with that. Whereas you'll have athletes who begin at 18 and then by the time they're 23, their careers are over. Um, and there's nothing mm. wrong with that either, but it just, no. it just shows that every athlete's progression and their potential is is very different. It's very varying, um, and everyone's mm. on their own journey. And it's really hard um, to not compare yourself to others because we all do it. We do it day in, day out with our friends mm. or walking down the street or just, at the sporting club. It's just lost, part of it? yeah human nature. Yeah. Um, mm. But everyone's journey is going to be different. So um, you have to run your own race. And that was something that whilst it was told to me and whilst I knew it deep down, I think had I realised that earlier, it would have probably, um, yeah, just eased my mind um, a fair bit more than anything else. Um, mm. So, yeah, it just took me, it took me a while to, um, yeah, kind of, I guess, find the running form that I needed, get my fitness at a space that I needed, get my body comp, all of those kind of things. I'm also a defender. Typically defenders don't be, in their hockey careers I would say if you look at most of them um, as early as other strikers and different bits and pieces Striker like that yeah yeah I just think uh, yeah I just think it's the way we develop our um, not to uh, yeah not to discredit strikers but more just like you, as right. a striker <laughs> you're skillful and you can just go out and run out and go play whereas uh, as a defender you're probably 
um, have to understand the game a bit more. You just need to know technically more things. You're actually responding off someone else. So um, to develop those skills can take sometimes longer, not for everyone, um, but for me they did. Um, And I was probably sitting on the brink as well uh, for a period of time in terms of, you know, there was probably opportunities earlier on in the, the year or two leading up to that where I, possibly could have been picked, but the selection didn't fall in my, my favour. So, um, yeah. you know, in another life, maybe I could have actually debuted at 21 or whatever it might have been. Um, they're all what-ifs and unknowns. But, um, yeah, it just kind of, I guess, eventuated that way. And in the meantime, I am very grateful that I can, or thankful that I continued studying um, to the level that I did. So by the time I moved to WA, I basically finished my degree and could start working. So um, whereas there's athletes here, who have been here since 18 and due to travel and training have, you know, only got through half a degree. And that's great. They've got been able to play so much hockey um, and they've been out mm. of study during it. But, yeah, I'm very, very thankful that now um, I don't go to placement and, you know, do all the work for my supervisor. I actually go to work and get paid because, yeah. Um, yeah, we don't get paid very well as hockey players, if at all. So you need to be able to um, support yourself, um, yeah, some other way. Yeah, prof- professional sport. Uh, across, I guess, across the world, um, mm-hmm. there's only a couple of sports in every country where you make a good living from being a sports person. Yeah. Hockey yeah. in Australia and, and I know in quite a few other countries around around the world, it's more a, a passion. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Career yeah. choice. Yeah. Um, and I think can, there is. You can feed yeah. yourself, but it's yeah. not, not the big glamour that everyone would expect of an Australian representative in a, in a national team. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's space for it to become like other sports in Australia. Um, mm. We every four years the Olympics rolls around, and hockey is the biggest thing in Australia. Like it's you know we're front page. You know when we didn't perform in Rio, it was the biggest deal ever. It was you know coming yeah. six for the men and women was the worst result we'd had in I don't even know how many years. I read that article too many times, but we become front page news and then all of a sudden there's there we're actually not seen and if you can't be seen it makes it very very hard for as a sport for you to make money um and so i guess some of the initiatives they've introduced with the pro league where we play at home so people can come down and watch mm. hockey kids can come down and um see what the sport's about we have our hockey one competition which will kick off again this year um which was a fantastic development basically modeled off what the big bash is and i remember yep. sitting in the room in um i was playing cricket at the time part of the under 15 Vic uh, cricket team uh, and they just announced that the Big Bash was going to take over from the like 2020 comp that was the state system yep. um so this is well, Big Bash has been 10 years now so a long yep. long time ago um and I was like oh it's the worst idea ever like who's gonna want to support the stars or the renegades like no way I'm a Victorian and that that was because we grew up with sport and sport we grew up, we, you were Victorian or New South Wales or Queensland or whatever, yep. and you were so, so passionate and we're like, this is not going to work. People are not going to follow we the statesmen. franchise. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember being like, oh, great. Okay, here we go. You know, the, the game will die out or it'll go for a few years and it just won't work. And, gosh, I couldn't have been more wrong. Like, um, I think we'd still have success if it was state v. state, and I think state v. state will always have an incredible rivalry. Mm. But, gosh, we're now into BBL 10. The women are now into maybe – or I don't actually know what comp is, four or five. Yeah, I think it's thereabouts. Um, And, like, those players are earning so much cash just for that form of cricket. So um, I think it's been three months or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, and they play for an hour and a half, three hours or whatever it is. It's not that long of a game. Yeah, so 
Um, I think that's really exciting that hockey's kind of, you know, moved in its own direction that way. We've um, franchised as such. We've moved away from the state model um, and we can get sponsors on board. And as soon as you get sponsors on board, as soon as you get TV rights, um, that's where, um, you know, the money starts to come in. And and hopefully, whether it's, I guess, my generation of athletes or athletes in the future actually – benefit from that and not that not that that's the reason that we play the sport there's no way i'd be in hockey i'd be in cricket very very quickly yeah. right now if i was in it for the money um so but, you, you've had a couple of calls already yeah yeah a couple <laughs> we could say um but yeah otherwise um yeah i just hope that yeah female and male athletes in hockey can be rewarded for their skill level and ability mm. um in the future and you know set themselves up most hockey players retire and they're broke um, so and not to deter yeah. parents from getting their kids into hockey yeah. um, because it's an incredible sport and I've been all around mm. the world to places I never, ever would have been to had it not been for hockey. But, um, yeah, I just feel like it would be really nice for, I guess, as a sport for our top athletes um, to be financially supported and also just be able to give back more than to the hockey community. Um, not yeah. that we don't give back, but I feel like, you know, if we were financially supported, there'd be more room for us to do more. I could fly to a location and come and coach. Um, whereas at the moment mm. I can't afford to do that. And so then the club either has to fund that or it has to tee up with a tournament or a travel or work trip or whatever it might be. And often yeah. that doesn't work. So um, I just think, yeah, there's all of those little bits and pieces that I think our game can grow massively um, if, you know, lots of different, I guess, things change, um, you know, mm. from a financial modelling point. Yeah, well, that's right. The hockey one, um, that was really I, I think they did an extremely good job of that first one, and and it was great to see the depth of hockey um, in each state um, of the, each team that was represented, because uh, you had a lot of guys in there that no one had even knew. There was even a few in their twenties, sort of yeah. making their debut on that sort of national scene, which was really great. And then you had your your old heads out there. Um, I can say that because Tristan White and I grew up <laughs> <laughs> together. Um, but old heads like Tristan, who's oh, 31 now, um, that were still there with the younger guys. So it was a really good mm-hmm. mix there of youth and, and then the, the experienced guys and girls out there as well. And when you mentioned about defenders, I was just thinking the, the Hockey Roos defensive side is actually late 20s, early 30s, aren't they? Yeah, we've had a bit of changeover in the last kind of two years um, with a few yeah. retirements and other bits and pieces. Um, but typically, yeah, go back 12 months ago, um, mm. yeah, it was a very, when I say elderly, I don't mean that in a negative way. <laughs> but um, Girls, if yeah, if you, if you compared it to the other lines, we were much older than the other lines. Um, yeah. And that's because, like, I mean, I debuted at 23. Eddie Bone, I don't think, debuted maybe till she was 25. Um, yeah Jody Kenny I think was 24 and she's been gone on to be you know one of the best defenders Australia will ever see slash the world like you know she is incredibly talented she's early mid-30s now isn't she yeah so she's just retired um so yeah yeah so I mean I think um historically and there'd be lots of other defenders out there um that also have yeah debuted um you know later than um other positions on the field goalies are similar like I I mean I I put the goalies into um that same position and 
oh. in the regard that they often like Rach Lynch, for example, um, she's played over 200 games for Australia. She would have sat on the bench for another 200 and not stepped on the field so they don't count as a game. So mm. they can spend so long as the number two and not step on the yeah. field. So all of a sudden they don't debut as well till much later than, um, you know, again, mm. other positions on the field. So, um, yeah, that's just, I guess, part of the position you play, part of the sport um, and different bits and pieces. There's always one in every team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> every yeah. team's got that so, one position that yeah. if, you, if you've got somebody good in there, unfortunately, yeah. you either change position or you just keep on working away at your craft and you'll get there. It's mm-hmm. always wicket keepers in cricket, yeah, uh, yeah. centers in, in netball, the sh- goal shooter in netball, uh, yeah. those sorts of positions that unless they break down or you get better than them, mm. you, you just got to keep going. Yeah. And you'll be better for it yeah. as well. That's the thing. Like, you know, they could break down tomorrow and you could slip in, slip into that position. But if you keep, you know, working as hard as you possibly can, um, at the end of the day, when you do get your opportunity, you know, you won't be here. Actually, you'll have, you know, jumped hopefully a fair bit mm. and all of that work you've put in behind closed doors uh, for a period of time. It just makes it, and that's what I felt when I debuted, it makes it so worthwhile. Um, and not to discredit someone who's handed their debut at 18, but... Uh, and some people mm. thoroughly deserve it. But, I mean, yeah, the people who de- do debut later um, or have someone in front of them and they just are not getting a crack or a look in, uh, I think it really makes it, um, yeah, that extra extra special. And uh, I think it probably hits home a little bit more just because you know how hard you have worked to get to this mm. point and to actually get the chance to debut, um, which you, for a period of time you might have thought that it may never have happened. We are... We are um... I guess as a society pushing things younger and younger and wanting to achieve younger and younger Mm. in your, like the fact that you debuted at 23 and there's been across so many sports, they people debuting at 16, 17, 18 in national teams. Is that, do you think there's a detriment to the way society is pushing with this? You need to get, be the best younger and, and specialize younger so you can get, in there at this 18 to 21 year old bracket that seems to be the unofficial that's your prime (laughs) Mm. yeah I think it's I mean I think it's firstly ridiculous and I also think it is also detrimental I think it's this you go back to technology it's this instant gratification I want Mm. food I'll order on over eats I want this I want that I'll get it instantly like whereas actually um that the hard work that you have to do to get to there and to achieve that at whatever age that might be um, makes it yeah. so much more worthwhile. And I think it does when I say ruin athletes, that's an awful thing to say, but it burns athletes out and it, it probably shortens some athletes' career because they've achieved everything by, when I say achieved everything, they play for Australia by the age of 18, 19, 20. Well, where do you go next? There's no team above mm. Australia. So where is the, you know, the next stepping stone? How do you then motivate yourself to become the best in Australia or the best in the world or different bits and pieces mm. like that? And those kind of things can be, you know, quite hard to judge because um, unless you're winning, you know, player of the tournament awards or best player in the world awards, then you're not necessarily getting that, I guess, that feedback either. So I think mm. it is really detrimental that, um, as you said, that kind of peak age between 18 and 21 has been kind of instilled in society. It'd be really interesting to see if culturally if around the world that would be the case um, mm. because I just think the older you are, again, the more mature you are, the more you've learned about yourself, the more you've developed yourself away from the sporting field. Um, and I think that holds you in really, really good stead 
for having it a career that lasts longer than a couple of years. Um, I think, you know, realistically to be truly successful as an elite athlete, it's, it's the, the athletes that are in the sport for the long haul. It's not the athletes that play 10 games. Um, I think yeah. it's the ones that, you know, year after year keep coming back. They, you know, withstand um, the incredible tough nature of elite sport and they're the ones that are, are still playing to late 20s or early 30s and, you know, amass how many of the games it might be for their country or state or club or um, different mm. bits and pieces. Um, so, yeah, I think that instant gratification, um, I think – this, yeah, this idea of having to reach it at such a young age, um, yeah, it probably needs a bit of a reality check. And I, I, I honestly wonder if we've lost some really quality athletes in Australia um, and also the world mm. because they get to 21 and they haven't done that and society says and they should have done that. So do they go, well, I'm yeah. never going to achieve it and drop off? Whereas, in fact, you know, maybe have they held on for a day longer or a week longer or a year longer, mm. gosh, who knows um, what door could have opened or um, what opportunity could have presented itself? Because it's very rare that you see um, in hockey, as an example, um, in their early 20s debuting for a state team um, mm. in, in an open state team. And now we've gone to the Hockey One. So that's changed a little bit. There's been a few people start there, but there's still this massive push that, no, we've got a couple old old heads there, late 20s, 30s. Let's push all the young kids through. Whereas, like you said, there's there's going to be a few people that are in their twenties that'll do it perfectly, mm. and that's that's maturity, body, just everything's there now. Um, which are, which is the other one that they're not fully grown. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> they're not actually yeah. fully grown. So from a from from that point of view, muscle growth an actual bone, muscle, etc. it's all not there 100% yet, mm. which can cause earlier injuries, shorter careers, because you're putting so much emphasis on the one thing so quickly. Mm. So, or you look at your contact sports, for example, and you go, mm. like, I mean, concussion's been in the, the media recently a lot with obviously the tragic, um, you know, deaths of um, some footballers and they've now done the scans on their brain and that they've had um, serious medical, um, I guess, episodes and injuries as a result of those concussions. And, mm. you know, you're exposing basically a kid or a very young teenager um, to high levels of sport but maybe their body as you said is physically not ready for and so a knock that you know knocks their body and they can take all of a sudden knocks their head um and you know you just don't know the the impacts that that can have um at a later date and I think that's why holding off on you know exposing younger when I say kids but more just kind of even your teenagers to um that high level senior sport where there are big bodies whether it's men or women um so yeah I just think that um yeah when you put it that way and the body's not being ready and they get injured um yeah injury muscular wise is one but also yeah your broken bones and concussion um is definitely something that I think needs to be considered and um again you know wanting wanting the best for for your kid and um allowing them to um yeah allowing them to get get the best out of their sport and love their sport but also you know taking care of them and putting their health and safety um first is really important Mm, that's right that health and safety aspect is what needs to be i guess the priority across all our sporting codes uh health health um you're not going to get 
very far without that base, mm. um, which comes back to how you started with all your different sports. Um, you've got a great base there that physically you've got a base from all these different aspects of physical activity that has now progressed you to the elite pathway. So, mm. yeah. Well, thanks so much, Soph, for joining me That's today. Okay. <laughs> um, My pleasure. So I've got one. Yeah. I've got one question that I'm asking everyone to mm-hmm. finish us off with. Um, oh, before we get to that, have you got any sort of any take homes for parents that might be listening or kids that might be listening? Yeah, I think that um, sport diversification is so important. Um, do what you love and what's fun and what your friends are doing and just immerse yourself um, in everything um, and anything. Uh, and then I think a tip for, I guess, parents that I'm incredibly grateful that my parents and I had a discussion at early age that um, I wanted them there to be supporting I wanted them you know there watching I wanted Mm. to be able to talk to them about my sport um, when I when I wanted to talk to them but I didn't want to get in the car and at the end of a session and you know critique every single skill or every single pass or every single part of the game and uh, for me having that conversation at a really early age uh, again it's honestly a reason why I'm still in the sport had I had you know, a relationship in which we we critiqued and analysed every single moment of every game, there is no way I'd still be playing. Um, and what, whilst what, I think, what age was that? Oh, yeah. I don't remember exactly, but it was young because, yeah. you know, you're you classic, you get in the car and you've just played a game. I, yeah. get, I am guilty of it with, you know, my siblings and different bits and pieces. You want to ask them because you want to stimulate <laughs> conversation. But um, yep. at the same time, I don't think always it's intentional, um, no. but... Uh, yeah, sitting there and analysing your child's every move and mistake and good thing and all the rest um, is actually, I personally think, is not beneficial for for them mm. in their sporting career. And there's um, lots of different ways that, you know, a conversation after a game um, can be had. And whether that's actually commenting on another child and what they've done really well or another teenager and what they've done really well. Like how good was it when this person got around that goal celebration or, you know, removing it from the skill aspect and actually making it more team focused and emotion focused. Yep. And those bits and pieces mm-hmm. I think is, um, is really powerful. We can learn so much from our peers. Um, we can also learn, you know, not what, what not to do. Um, yep. And, you know, you've got your crazy parents on the sideline that, you know, hurl abuse and all those kind of bits and pieces. <laughs> and that's embarrassing as a kid. So, you know, those were learnings mm. as well that I had with my, um, my parents that, I was like, well, I definitely don't want you guys, you know, doing that. You can cheer and be supportive, but I want you to do that for everyone, not just me. Um, yeah. So I'm really thankful that I had those those conversations. And, um, yeah, you, you're supporting your kids more than you realise by just being there um, and being there as a shoulder to lean on when they've had a good or a bad day um, on the sporting track rather than, yeah, being the third coach or the second coach or whatever it might yeah. be. And it just becomes overwhelming. So you need to find that balance. So final question, do you like or love sport (laughs) and why? Uh, I love it. Um, I love it because it challenges me. Um, It challenges me to improve. It challenges me um, to, I guess, be the best version of myself. Um, I love it for its team aspect and the social side and the friendships that I've made um, through sport. Um, I love it for the countries that I've been out to visit and the incredible places around the world that I've been out to see. Um, and, yeah, I just love um, the feeling I have 
after running or finishing a really hard workout or um, doing something with your friends, um, just that, I guess, energy and emotion, positive emotion that's attached um, with it is, yeah, really, really powerful and really can turn a day that hasn't been going very well around and can make you, um, you know, feel a million bucks. So I love it for so many different reasons um, and it will forever be part of my life, which is really cool. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for that. Well, it's been a been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, Soph, and, and I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, some great little comments that you've made throughout our time together that have stuck with me, um, in particular the, the burnout there and, and ages that, yeah, don't, you, you've got time. We've got time in this life to, to get to where we want to get to. Don't have to get there tomorrow. Um, so... I wish you all the best uh, this year. Fingers crossed you get over to the Olympics. That's the <laughs> plan. That somewhat happens for for everyone. Um, but, yeah, enjoy enjoy getting out of home isolation in the next few days and getting out to some sort of normal life and, and back to work and, and on the hockey field. Thank you.